Hey everyone, I'm Jim Ambusky and this is Conversations at the Washington Library. One of the most important things we're able to do at the Center for Digital History is offer internships to college students. Working with students allows us to move our projects forward while giving them real-world opportunities to do the kind of work that historians do and develop skills that will hopefully serve them well later in life. Now, we've talked about our internship program on the show before. You might recall our chat last summer with Jamie Morris of Washington College. And today, you'll get to hear from three excellent students who joined our team last fall, thanks to a partnership with the Institute of Thomas Paine Studies at Iona College. Felicia, Mariah, and Christian, all students at Iona, join us virtually over the course of the fall term to help us with the Digital Encyclopedia of George Washington and the reconstruction of the database of enslaved people at Mount Vernon. My colleague Jeanette Patrick and I serve as the site coordinators at the Washington Library for these internships, while Dr. Michael Crowder, the Institute's public historian, was the student's instructor. He's one of the architects of the Institute's internships as well. So on today's show, Michael, Jeanette, and I chat with our interns about their interest in history and their experiences working with us over the past few months. And then at the end, the three of us reflect on the semester, what worked, and what opportunities lie ahead. Be sure to check out the Institute for Thomas Paine Studies at Iona College. They have a lot of great programming going on up there, and they're always interested in collaborating with new partners. And with that, let's build digital history projects at the Washington Library with the ITPS interns. All right, everybody ready? Yeah. Showtime. All right, Felicia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and what's your major there at Iona College? I'm from Long Island, New York, uh, born and raised. I don't think I ever left. I go to Iona College. I'm a junior and I'm a history major. Christian? I am originally from Long Island, a town called North Babylon to be specific. And at Iona, I am a political science major, a history minor. I was a double major at a time, but I switched that down to a minor this uh, past semester. And last but not least, Mariah. Uh, Sure. I am from uh, Mount Vernon, um, not too far from uh, New Rochelle, where Iona is. And uh, my major is uh, history. Well, it's very pleasant that you are from the city of Mount Vernon there in New York and that we work at the Mount Vernon in Virginia. Although I'm willing to bet that anytime somebody in your neck of the woods says Mount Vernon, they do not confuse the two. I remember hearing about Mount Vernon before, like the Virginia one, but like, you know, the Mount Vernon in New York is still the more prevalent one in my mind. So when did you first become interested in the study of history? Was there a like a light bulb moment in your life or is a particular event that sparked your interests? Well, history has always been a huge part of my life. Honestly, even back to when I was like five, six years old, you know, when most kids were sitting watching like cartoons, of course I watched the cartoons as well, but my father was always putting on History Channel or different documentaries and stuff. And I, I always had a major interest in it and I always loved it. It seemed like it was just, one big story you know it always had a deep explanation to it another meaning to it and it foretold something else to come in the future and it was in around middle school that i realized that history is not just the past it's a determining factor of both our present and a teaching factor of our future so by the time i reached college i had always loved it i still had a passion for it but i wasn't studying it early and a professor had uh, read one of my papers and gave me a slip and said, um, be a history major. You don't have a choice in this. <laughs> and I said, 
Okay. You know, because honestly, there was a big part of me that wanted to do it to begin with. And um, the fact that a professor had shown that type of interest in me wanting to do it. Mariah, how about you? Watching documentaries and just having a love to listen to old people and their stories, you know, just learning things that have been done before I was born and different sentiments and the different types of people that were around is more of a, you know, curiosity and love for hearing all of those things. You can tell us something about the old people that you've listened to. Are there people on documentaries or people in your life that told stories that really fascinated you? My grandfather is just, um, he's a trove of knowledge. I love to think of him as. And um, he tells me stories about like how he had like his siblings that I ever, you know, unfortunately never had the pleasure of meeting. One of them was like into martial arts or something. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Never knew that was in the family tree. Um, That's pretty cool. But like how some of uh, his siblings served in like military service during uh, Vietnam and, you know, you know, it was nice listening to him. I do treasure, you know, his words a lot. Well, Felicia, was there a person in your life like Christian and like Mariah who sparked your interest in history? Uh, yeah, it's funny how people say there's like uh, certain teachers that really get you into the subject you're going to pursue. I had this one history teacher in high school, and I just loved how he taught the class. Like it was my first period class. It was at like 730 in the morning. You don't want to be there. And he just made it so fun. Like I didn't even want to go to sleep or anything. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to make it fun so people enjoy it. Is there a particular topic or time period that you're particularly interested in? Um, time period, I haven't really narrowed down yet. I'm really interested in cultural history. And I was really inspired by Dr. Theory here at Iona College. He does a whole study on violence. And I just really enjoyed it. And I wanted to look further into that subject. Um, not at the moment, no. Um, it's more of, I guess, people. So, like, people have never, like, you know, gotten the attention for, you know, notice before. For example, it's like, I sure I don't know everything about American history, but I've hear it, heard it so often that it's kind of like, you know, mellow or like the interest is there, but it's not as um, extreme as it was for when I took my first Russian history course, you know, people that we always see in the news or, you know, have some relation with, but we don't exactly know. So I think it's more learning about people that we do have relations with in modern day and then seeing how those sentiments from back then transfer into the now. What particularly fascinated you about the Russian course or Russian history just out of, out of curiosity? Well, thanks to my Russian history teacher being very, um, has a strong personality. So um, I think I'm taking some influence from him that there's some similarities between America and Russia in the sense that we both have this special sense of identity as of like, you know, we're a special group of people. We're different from the rest. Russia believing itself to be the new, you know, Holy Roman Empire with the uh, orthodoxy and then America being, you know, the home of freedom. Uh, that's great. So let's get into what we had you all working on this semester. And maybe, Jeanette, you can start with Christian and the Digital Encyclopedia, and then I can follow up with Mariah and Felicia on the Enslaved Persons database. Could you describe the work that we had you doing on the Digital Encyclopedia of George Washington throughout your internship? I was helping making it more applicable to, fi- to find links and find more in-depth information 
about Mount Vernon. And with that also provides a, a little opportunity for myself to learn a lot more, such as slave life, the artifacts that were used, the type of food that was even eaten. So this semester we had you work on the enslaved persons at Mount Vernon database. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that particular project and what it is that you were working on? Sure. So with the Enslaved Peoples Project, we were really given this extensive information of uh, a lot of these slaves that were luckily documented at the Mount Vernon Plantation in Virginia. Our job or what we got to do, it wasn't really a job if you enjoy it, we got to uh, look at these different sources and uh, really fix up the website and add some information, some pictures, and really give life to these uh, people who are kind of kept in the dark most of the time. It was a really nice experience. Yeah, Michael, go ahead. Could you tell us, are there any sort of individuals or people that you encountered, any sort of individuals that you encountered that just sort of sparked your interest? Um, there wasn't really a person in particular. It was more of, I like to focus on, I guess, more of the mindset. There was some sentiments, as mentioned before, there were some sentiments of people um, some former slaves actually having some respect for George Washington, and then some slaves were just like, he was just a man, you know, and I was still enslaved, so, you know, I'm still hurt by this action. So, yeah, it was more of the sentiments that, you know, people had that, or slaves or masters, other, you know, business partners, whatever, just certain uh, ideologies or the mentality, the thing that stood out to me. Can you talk a little bit about how your sort of general view of this, this time period in early America, as we historians call it, with the late 18th and early 19th centuries uh, changed? I had always known a small amount of it, but as you said, I was very much focused on political and military history. And to apply cultural history, the social aspects of the quote-unquote everyday American or and slaves, it gave more of a humanizing factor, if you will. George Washington was always a figure that I highly look up, looked up to, but we also know that he was nowhere close to perfect, nor was anyone of that time period. And I just wanted to look deeply or more deeper into that time period and understand it in a different light. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in our education, we often focus on that time period of the, the late 18th century, early 19th century, the American Revolution and, and things like that. And we, uh, we forget about the other things going on in the country. There was people who, who lives were still going on like they normally were. George Washington and his struggle with um, coming to terms with enslavement and it being wrong. It was a very private struggle for him. So it's not really told in history. Like, you kind of get that vague thing where it's like, oh, well, George Washington kind of came to terms at the end of his life that slavery was wrong. You don't really get the whole story. It's just kind of like that little blip, and you're like, oh, okay. But um, it's like a slow burn process of when he's in the Revolutionary War, and he's learning from other people, and he's not stuck in Virginia. And you don't really get that story. Instead of thinking of slavery as this constant narrative line, it was more like a 
a myriad of like colors that happened you know it's not just there were people who just wanted to oppress people and then people you know who wanted to be free it was some people who were attached to their masters it was some people who did this out of like necessity it was just a family thing to do so there was no question and those people who knew this was an issue but they couldn't really do anything about it so they try to make the best out of it so instead of thinking of it as like a singular thing where everyone's mindset is the same this program basically taught me that there's more than meets the eye. So it sounds like you learned that there was a kaleidoscope of perspectives of, of people who had different roles and different statuses within uh, Mount Vernon. And I think that's, a, that's an absolutely fascinating insight to draw. You also, you mentioned to us earlier, was the ways in which language and the words people used evolved uh, over the course of time, the subjects that you encountered, the individuals that you encountered, the records that you encountered. What is it about that change in language that struck you uh, and sort of inspired you to get to dig deeper? Before I decided on being a history major, I originally wanted to study language. So, and then it led me to history because I think language and history are intertwined. You can tell a lot about a people based on the way they talk. So, or like certain um, sayings that they have, idioms. I kind of like to look at language and how it changes over time to uh, define my sometimes or inform my perspective about history. You know, we had talked early on in the semester about what historians do and the tools that they use, you know, digital or otherwise, to reconstruct the past. Can you give us a sense of of the ways in which working on this kind of project has informed your thinking about how people do history? Uh, yeah, I do think Mount Vernon's uh, account and uh, histories of the enslaved people there is unique. I don't think a lot of people really kept that close of a record of their slaves back then. It was really, you know, just a, a name they gave them, maybe like a, some, some way to track them, but it wasn't really their lives, what they did there, who they interacted with what they did. Maybe they wrote down Cook next to their name, but you don't really get these these narratives that we're lucky to have. Like for historians in, you know, in a sense of what I did, I think they spend a lot of time getting to know people in a more personal level through their writings, instead of more of like a static level as in like the general terms as like it's introduced in like say history books or lessons. We don't really get to know their letters, you know, who they possibly spoke to, their family relations all the time. We just know this person existed, they did something, then they died. So this uh, internship and the study made me realize that historians have more like, it's like they're greeting somebody, you know? It's like they're talking to a person that they are very familiar with or talking about a person, you know, they used to know. I think they have more of a closer relationship with them, I guess, in the, that sort of sense, rather than my general, I knew you, but not really. Like, it's just an acquaintance in that sense. One of the challenges of studying the enslaved community is often we don't have records in their own words. You know, we're reading their lives through the lens of somebody else. And so can you think about for a second, or, or maybe we can, we can talk a little bit about how you were able to greet some of the individuals you worked on through the letters of others? I wasn't necessarily greeting George Washington, but like I was able to experience the type of the respect that was had for him through the letters. 
in a sense of sure he did a bad thing but to others he was a hero you know to others he was that guy that everyone knew and loved and cherished because he was the general he was uh very important and reading through the letters you can see he was a stickler for details you know for both parties whether it be a slave or someone who looks like him i was able to greet and get used to that personality type so i think it was more of greeting their personality type that hasn't really faded with time is still a consistent thing. I was getting to know more about them, not in a really personal level, but like in a pseudo personal level of how they acted or treated other people. How, you know, it was like more consistency within their character or inconsistency in their character. Kind of like greeting or getting to know a friend for the first few months or few years or whatever. Playing on this theme still then, one of the, uh, one of the aspects of this project is that it will be a very public project. Uh, part of it is now, uh, but the work that, that we had you do will only make it better. And we also talked early on in the semester about these ideas of public history and digital humanities. Can you give us a sense of what those two terms mean to you and, and how you think about them in relation to the work that you did? Yeah, so um, first, I want to uh, state the definition of what public history and digital humanities is. So it's described as the various methods, technology, and media through historians and history practitioners, uh, which bring knowledge to public audiences and, techn and technological spaces. So basically, what that means is it makes it more accessible to the public. Public history and digital humanities are meant for us to be able to see and understand what is going, what did happen and what has been recorded by historians. Public history, I see it as like more as a digestible version of history for people. Like going to the museum, I may look at some Egyptian exhibits, but that doesn't mean I know everything about Egypt, but I got a glimpse of it, uh, you know, a dose, a small doses of it. And then for like digital history, I see it as like not saying that public history isn't accessible, but it's more um, you don't have to, you know, necessarily be in there like in person. It's more accessible as in, you know, you can distribute it through the internet and it's more easier to, you know, express that digestible information. It doesn't necessarily have to be convoluted and worded for people who are experienced in that field. You know, there's a literal sense of public history, history open to the public and digital history, history online. Digital history, it's so expansive because it's more than just online. It, it's really you can get it on your phone, you could get it on your laptop, you could get it on your tablet, you could, it, it's anywhere, it's more accessible than a library and a book, and uh, it's, I don't know, to me, digital history is like the next level, next generation kind of thing. Public history is so much nicer because people can actually have conversations and and know what someone else is talking about instead of, oh, well, you're a history major, so I don't know what you're talking about, I took something else you can actually learn about it somewhere else than just a classroom. Would you say that you view it as a way to make history more sort of, not just accessible in the practical sense, but also more uh, democratized? Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, mostly because um, with that, the smaller narratives, we don't hear those, especially in like mainstream history. You get, you know, the big wars, the the big, laws and the, the, the revolutions, industrial and whatnot. 
Um, you don't really get the smaller stuff, which is a shame because there's really interesting narratives, you know, below the surface level. Um, of course, it comes with its downfall because, you know, with the internet, you know, anyone can have their hand in history. So, you know, it could be skewed or, or uh, altered or false, but, you know, positives and negatives. What attracted you to the ITPS internship program in the first place? Last semester, I had just finished two of my history classes, and it was just the start of COVID, and I was like, I'm bored. I don't feel stimulated. I really have, like, no projects. And then Dr. Hughes, uh, the head of our history department here at Iona College, he emailed out um, some internship opportunities here at Iona College, and I just really liked this one because I'm not, I don't really focus on American history. I never really have, but I always like to learn more about it. And I figured through an internship instead of a class would be a more fun way to learn about it. Be able to have the opportunity to not only do that, but help you guys, you know, redevelop the website. And I'm not going to lie, it would be pretty cool to have my name, you know, etched in there saying like, he helped do this, you know. Well, as you're winding up your time at Iona College, you're probably thinking about what am I going to do next? So post-college, first thing I want to get to is graduate school. I'm going more towards the political route, but I've learned also that politics is deeply delved into history as well. And if you go into politics without considering history, you're doomed to make the same mistakes others have made. You know, the very generic statement that every historian knows very well. So I want to get into political consultation or political analyzation. I like quiet areas or like some level of quietness. I wanted to be like an archivist and just look at older documents. But part of me also wanted to be a museum curator to show and bring more color to things in history that can be inspiring for everybody, not just some something that's known as boring and puts people to sleep. Yeah, I would really like to be a history professor. Oh, okay. So you're interested in graduate school and making the same bad choices that the three of us did in this room? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, why do you want to be a history professor? I mean, I, I think I can gather from, uh, based on what you just said about your formative experiences in high school, but what is it about you that attracts you to this particular life? I always kind of wanted to teach, but I never really knew what. And then I was just so interested in history, especially after that class in high school. I didn't really want to teach high school because you're kind of forced to take history in high school. No one really wants to be in that class. So I figured like in, in college, you, you take, you pick your schedule. They want to be in that class. They want to hear what you have to say. So if, if you're surrounded by like-minded people, instead of just teaching, it's more of a conversation. So you're learning from each other. So part of the majesty of going to graduate school is that you dedicate yourself for six years or so to a very specific topic. Do you have a topic in mind at this point? Um, I just did a, a, a nice long research paper that took up a good chunk of my time this semester on uh, the plague of 1348. And I just really liked dissecting that topic. I did so much research, uh, my head hurts, but through that lens of like violence and, and plagues and stuff like that and war, that's probably where I'm, I'm heading. So I have to ask, because we are in the COVID moment and how much of the COVID moment inspired you to think about the history of epidemiology and this particular topic in that way and, and the extent to which it actually is encouraging you to think about this as a potential topic in the course of your prospective research career? I was actually inspired a lot by COVID because this is the first time 
I assume a lot of people are going through a pandemic in their lifetime. And as a young person, uh, I don't really understand stuff like that. So I figured looking to the past to help you understand what's going on now is a really helpful tool, uh, tool. and learning from your mistakes, although uh, there weren't many uh, CDC guidelines in 1348. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, can't really farm six feet apart. But I just thought if we can look at the past and kind of figure out how they went about it, we can apply it to now. Getting this experience and feel for this type of work that I you know, possibly want to do or will do in the future, it was a great experience for me. And knowing the type of work and dedication that goes behind it is, you know, was really awesome. Um, really did appreciate this opportunity to get involved. I didn't think this much like, you know, the Excel documents and all this. I didn't know that much stuff went into it. I, you know, I was confused on the idea myself. I was just like, you know, it's cool, you know, it's a cool thing to me. So I'll just learn it, but I didn't expect it to learn it, I guess, um, so soon. Um, I don't know. But um, it was a fun experience uh, overall. And I would recommend anyone who wants to be a museum curator or like anyone who just has a casual interest in history to get to know the process behind it because, you know, you have more appreciation for it, you know, in the future. Let's press that line of thought there just for a second, because as you know, you are participating in a program through the ITPS that I guess is somewhat new, fair to say, Michael. I mean, you've had interns before, but now you're the, the college is looking to build this into a, uh, a public history minor. So there will be hopefully a plethora of interns that follow in your wake doing internships like you have done here or on-site internships at the Thomas Paine College or various other partner institutions. Are there any lessons learned or tips that you would give these future interns to help them along their way? My advice would be be patient and also uh, post-it notes are your best friend. Every time I would learn something new or figure something out, I would just write it down so I wouldn't forget. So I kind of have like a little cheat sheet. If I would mess up, I would look back and be like, oh, this is what I did. And then I would go back. So it, I would say just keep a diligent a track of what you're doing so you don't forget because it's easy to forget what you're doing they're kind of everywhere I have them like on my wall and like on my uh desk but um with it I really just kept track of there was um when you go in there's like these modules and uh it's like a bunch of pages and it seems like a lot <laughs> at first but when you start combing you're like okay it's not as intimidating as it seems but um, keeping track of what page you're on, kind of like the last thing you looked at, it's always good to, because then you're like, oh God, where did I leave off? And then you're rereading things. And you're like, wait, I read this already. And then you skip and you're like, but I didn't read this. And then you go back again. That's like a ping pong game. Um, <laughs> so just keeping you know, track of you know, the page you're on, what you're working on, the person or the, the website you just left off on, just making sure you you know where you are. It's so much more. And then you're not wasting work time on trying to figure out where you were. There is going to be a lot of information presented to you. A lot of very important and very interesting information. Do be sure to pay attention to it and take advantage of the opportunity that you are given because not many other people are going to be able to see it in this light. And even though it's on the Mount Vernon website, 
most people sadly will not look that deep into the website. And not only is this a good opportunity for students as a resume builder, as an opportunity builder, but it's also very beneficial intellectually. So to me, I would say that is the most significant factor of it is to not just do the work, but pay attention to the work that you are doing. Whether it is working for um, Mount Vernon or whatever site that you're working for, whatever sponsored website they are using, be sure to be organized. First of all, time management, of course. Uh, <laughs> that goes for anything for that matter. And uh, second, enjoy what you're doing. If you enjoy what you're doing, then you'll be more productive or try to find something that interests you. Doesn't necessarily have to be the entire program, but if something in history particularly stands out to you, if at least one thing makes a impression on you, then I think the entire experience will be worth it overall. Really broadening your perspective and, and really taking what in what you're learning because all of this stuff in the end is going to be something useful, these computer skills. And, you know, though the information might not be, you know, you might not write an, a, an American history paper on, on the enslaved peoples or a research project or paper. It's, it's good information to know and keep with you and, and potentially spread. So I would say, you know, keep it with you. Maybe, you know, write it down or, or don't forget because these are good skills to take with you. Well, Mariah, the last word goes to you. And, and as I sit here reflecting on our collective conversation, it strikes me that we've come full circle in a sense, back to where we started with you and talking about your grandfather and, and the importance of listening to historical sources and equally important, having the desire to ask more questions about the past. Most definitely. And especially uh, for my grandfather, because, you know, he's a pastor. So like, of course, he has a whole bunch of like in-depth perspectives on what the Bible is. So like, I sit there for hours listening to him for that. So like, of course, it just overlaps to me. Um, the whole your perspective, I want to see throughout your many years of living or short years of living, what, what did you feel? Like, what did you come to a conclusion of? that's different or possibly the same as me. Um, because I don't, you know, I'm saying, you know, it's like a saying to them, I don't know you, but I would like to. And that's always a nice thing, I think, in my opinion, to say to people, instead of reading it or looking at it with a negative connotation, it's more of, why don't you tell me what thoughts went through your head and what you thought was right before I make any assumptions about you? Because I don't know. You know, I'm just going off of what everyone else said or what assumptions that I came up with. So you tell me. All right, team. I thought that was really fun. I had a great time talking to the students and hearing what they learned over the course of the semester and how working on these various projects shaped their thinking about early American history. So now it's now it's our turn. So why don't we take a few minutes here? We can debrief on uh, on the record here about about our sense of how things went this past term and. And Jeanette, I believe you have a question for Dr. Crowder, so the floor is yours. Um, so I think first, could you describe the internship program that the I could you describe the ITTPS ITTS? Could you describe the ITPS? <laughs> the ITT we're not, Tech. We're, and, we're not ITT Tech. <laughs> <laughs> This is never going to get done. Oh. 
Uh, can you describe the ITTS internship program that Jim and I at the Washington Library were lucky enough to work with this semester? Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful program that uh, I hope to develop in, in collaboration and with the tremendous help of my colleague, uh, Dr. Nora Slanimsky, uh, ITPS director. Uh, and so this internship program is something that we thought about for uh, about a year, and it finally launched in the spring of 2020. Unfortunately, uh, it was uh, cut short by, by COVID and the pandemic, which of course everybody in the world's life was. Uh, but it's, it's a program that has two main goals. Uh, the first goal is to provide uh, Iona College students with both academic uh, and practical opportunities uh, to develop both their interest in history, uh, in the academic study of history, uh, but also to help them develop skills that align with uh, the three-part model that we uh, use at the ITPS to describe our overall vision. And, uh, and those three parts are public history, uh, digital humanities and archival studies. Uh, and through the collaboration, this fabulous collaboration with, with, with you at Mount Vernon and, and Mount Vernon Washington Library, uh, we've been able to touch upon all of those, uh, those three, we called it the tripod, with the three legs of the tripod where these students have gotten fabulous uh, experience in, in, in public history, but especially archival studies and, and digital humanities. and uh, and. This is a, a, a program that we're uh, going to fold into and expand upon uh, beginning, fingers crossed, in fall of 2021 uh, when we inaugurate our new minor degree program uh, through the, in consultation or in collaboration, I should say, with the History Department at Iowa College, uh, a minor degree program in public history and digital humanities uh, in which students can gain, again, both uh, academic uh, content based but also practical skills that will make them competitive in, in whatever field they choose to pursue. Uh, we, we envision this program as, as one in which students from across the different departments at Iona, whether their major is business, marketing, and communications, or if they're history majors, of course, and history minors, we have this fantastic, again, I'll keep using that word, fantastic collaboration with, with you at Mount Vernon and, and uh, the Washington Library. Uh, we've also, uh, been working with the Thomas Paine Cottage here in New Rochelle, which is just up the street, 0.8 miles, I know this from Google Maps, uh, from the Iona campus, the cottage that Thomas Paine lived in for the last couple years of his life. Um, and, and we're working on developing uh, and expanding the uh, internship opportunities uh, that are available to Iona students. The other question I was going to ask was, what do you hope your students are going to gain from the experience? But you absolutely covered that too. So I guess, Jim, do you have any other questions that maybe you should go at the top. I think we started talking about this internship possibility before we ever imagined there was going to be any, any kind of shutdown. And originally, as, as originally was conceived, Jeanette and I were going to come up there for a couple of days, work with the students directly, go over the material, and then uh, turn the students loose. And then the rest of the internship would be in a digital virtual format, as we've been doing. And the kids would have come down, possibly for a Mount Vernon visit. So I guess I'm wondering, now that we've gone through this trial by fire in which everything was entirely virtual. Are you looking to collaborate with more institutions in this way and so that you have a kind of a track which is a, which entails a physical presence at a place like the t Pain Cottage and a track that entails a virtual experience with institutions in New York or around the world? 
I'm glad you started with the the sort of earliest steps of us conceiving of of this collaboration, which, as he said, began in November, December of, of 2019. And uh, we like to say that the only thing that went to plan <laughs> over the course of the COVID spring and summer and fall. But I, I I'll say that the this experience and, and conducting this in, entirely remotely and, and almost entirely right through Zoom meetings has been hugely generative for me because you sort of anticipated, Jim, the way that I've been thinking now, and especially in terms of putting together this minor degree program because it, it, it what I've learned and the, the sort of positive lessons that I've I've, I've personally have taken from this process is that while the in-person component and while it would be amazing to have Mariah and Felicia be able to go down to Mount Vernon and actually hold the the records of the enslaved people's database and to have Christian be able to go down to Mount Vernon and see some of the, the, the pertinent right, manuscript sources relating to George Washington's life. While those are all, while we miss those things, um, I think I learned the possibilities and the opportunities that conducting collaborations like this virtually have. I think there's a lot more, I think there's a lot more of two things. I think there's a lot more flexibility uh, and I think it empowers students to use the time in ways that, you know, you can't, that, that, that it's easier to dictate if you're in person, quite frankly. Uh, and the second thing I think that it empowers is, uh, it empowers a sort of, this is gonna be a paradox and, and I know that, but it empowers paradoxically a sort of, I find because of the, the, the exigencies of COVID we might not have had, right? We're all now doing everything on Zoom and we've all, we don't love it, <laughs> but we're all comfortable with it. And I think it does empower the kind of sort of patterns that some of us, and I'll include myself here, might've resisted previously, preferring in-person, uh, uh, sort of meetings, but it, 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 it's made clear the possibilities that, that exist to extend collaborations beyond particular geographical boundaries, or even more importantly, methodological boundaries. So that's something that we're, we're definitely weaving into this, this minor degree program, which, you know, as was the case with this particular collaboration, we, we began thinking about in a pre-COVID world. I find that having to adjust to the COVID world. Personally, we get annoyed by it. Right, but professionally, I've actually found it to be quite generative. Great. Is there anything you want to ask us? What was, it's a similar question we asked to the students, so I'll ask you, uh, if there's some sort of idea that you had in your head about what it would be like, especially in, in a, a Zoom world, right, to, to work with interns, is there something or one sort of aspect or one sort of preconceived notion that you had that has sort of shifted as a result of this experience? I guess it was always a question in my mind whether or not something like this would be possible. You know, we, we've talked before about externships and situations like that in a sense where, you know, we would have interns, but they would never actually be on site and whether or not those would be working on a digital project or something else didn't matter. And when I first came on board last year in June, you know, I came from a, a university setting where I had access to a variety of interns who could help us advance various projects. And working in the museum slash nonprofit library space where funds are much dearer than you would find at a university in which you simply can't go to your chair and say, hey, can I have 5,000 bucks for the semester to do X, Y, Z, where 
everything is very carefully budgeted and you have to really be careful about your expenditures. There was always a question of whether or not we would actually be able to have interns and to compensate them in ways that would be commiserate with uh, the expectations of the, the academic community because you know there are certain tenets that our colleagues hold about how much you should pay interns. So I was kind of really worried about you know, how we were actually going to achieve some of the, the major projects uh, without access to students who wanted to learn this kind of work and to participate in these kinds of projects. Uh, and I had begun thinking last December about digital internships and whether or not that might be a viable solution to our, I guess, predicament, you might say. But then when you know your colleague, Norris Leminski, was down at, at Mount Vernon on fellowship, she and I got to talking about this potential collaboration and uh, it kind of clicked in my head that actually this might work. Um, you know, it's going to be a different kind of oversight structure. You're going to be relying much more on the students to actually do what they say they're going to do and agree to do without the kind of day-to-day -day oversight that you might have of an in-person internship. But now I think uh, having been through this process over the last several weeks, I think I am pretty content on moving forward with other types of internships of this nature in the future. Yeah, I agree. We were fortunate to have one intern this summer who also did a completely digital internship. Um, and I think our experience working with Jamie this summer was just, you know, she did such good work, even though we never got to meet her in person, that I was significantly less worried when we started this fall with a class of interns that we were going to have students not doing the work or not taking things seriously because we didn't have that oversight. Um, so I think that probably helped both of us come into this semester being much less concerned than had we not had you know, a really good virtual summer intern as well. Thanks for joining us today on Conversations, a production of the Center for Digital History at the Washington Library. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Jim Ambusky, with editorial assistance from Jeanette Patrick and support from Mount Vernon's media department. Be sure to subscribe to Conversations on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you enjoy your favorite programs. Have a question for the podcast team? Send it to us at conversationspodcast at mountvernon.org, and we might feature it on the show. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by going to mountvernon.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.